This podcast is brought to you by yorktrito.com and comes with a warning. Never seek praise from your political hero. It's bound to backfire badly. Look what my hero had to say about me. I mean, you, as an ideas person, someone new in public life, not besmirched by the wrestling, what a joke. And let me not hear from the press gallery ever again about this as a non-political person. I mean, frankly, frankly, well, 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 faint if we hear that again. Now, let me tell you, Mr Speaker, unless he's in with a question in his hand written by someone on his staff, and with a speaker, he's useless. Useless, absolutely. In fact, Mr Speaker, it's an insult to one's professional skills to have to be in such a debate. To have to be in such a debate. He thought bluster and volume and decibels were to there for, for, for substitute for quality. Quantity to substitute for quality and amplitude and noise to substitute for real argument. I mean, this is the sort of humbug which just makes us sick. And it's particularly made us sick about you. You fraud. You disgraceful, disgusting fraud. The, the answer is, mate, mate, because I want to do you slowly. I want to do you slowly. No, no. I know. There's got to be a bit of sport in this for all of us. No, no. There's got to be a bit of sport in this for all of us. And in the psychological battle stakes, we are stripped down and ready to go. Ready to go. And uh, I want to see those ashen-faced performances, more of them. I want to be encouraged. I want to see you squirm out of this load of rubbish over a period of months. There's going the to be no Aston. easy execution for you. No easy execution for you. And if you think I'm going to put you out of your misery quickly, you can think again. Welcome, potties and gladdies, to Reflective Contemplations, the modern version of a political fireside chat. Today, it is time once again to re-enter the muddy, murky waters of transitions. It's a tale of two cities. It's a tale of two nations. In fact, it is a story of two parallel universes, two very different Americas. On the one hand, we have a petulant child hunkering down in the bunker, previously known to Americans and the world as the White House, the People's House. On the other hand, we have a president-elect and his transition team until Monday night not even being allowed to officially start the transition. This team already has been doing what they could in order to facilitate the peaceful transfer of power Americans rightly should feel proud of. Now let's turn first to Trump world. Now, what has the president been doing since Election Day? He's, he has been trying to do whatever he can to delegitimize the election. And the tactics have been multi-pronged. There have been a few legal attempts to overthrow, um, to change the election in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Georgia, etc., etc. By the end of last week, I think his uh, legal attempts to undermine one of the, if not the safest election in American history, reached a climax. Um, you may remember that his lawyer, as Rudolph Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, had a much reported and I dare say pathetic 
pathetic performance in Pennsylvania uh, in court where he didn't allege fraud, he just alleged a fraudulent process. Now, the judge commenting on this lawsuit called the legal patchwork by the Trump team Frankenstein's monster, which I think tells you a lot about uh, the credibility of uh, Trump's legal team, an elite team, as one of his lawyers put it. Now, in fact, when Giuliani appeared in Pennsylvania, he alleged a fraudulent process. I mean, seriously, give me a break, Rudy. I mean, this is ridiculous. If I ever need a lawyer, before I call Rudy Giuliani, I'm going to turn to my high school buddies. You know, even those who didn't make it through high school, they probably wouldn't confuse Pennsylvania and Minnesota. Anyway, this all uh, fell apart pretty quickly. And then we had a press conference, which I would say was probably the most dangerous press conference in American history by Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and other um, so-called lawyers who spread completely baseless conspiracy theories. And uh, that obviously um, made a lot of headlines in the US and undermined the credibility of a man who I think had the potential, who I think had the potential to achieve greatness, real greatness. Now let me let me tell you something about Rudy the Great. I mean, I remember September 11th very well. I was studying in London at the time. A good friend of mine at university had just gone to New York for a semester abroad. And I remember that at the time when I heard what unfolded, over there, it was not just her uh, safety I was concerned about, but also remember New York changed my life. So um, for me, it was like a step in the heart. Now, there was a man at the time who articulated the grief of New York residents, in fact, articulated the grief of an entire nation incredibly well. And believe it or not, this man was Rudy Giuliani. And he was so effective and was so admired at the time that a lot of people saw him as a potential presidential nominee for the Republican Party. How can a man like Rudolf Giuliani become such a pathetic, pathetic figure in Trump world? A man who potentially could have achieved great things. He was admired across the board, not just in the States. In fact, he was admired around the world. But at some stage, a few years ago, this man hitched his wagon to Donald Trump. And now look what has become of him. A little pathetic lawyer, man, politician, call him what you like. I'm not even angry about it. It's just so incredibly sad. It's just such an incredibly... Uh, sad spectacle that is unfolding in Trump world. And I feel sorry for the man. I really do. Um, you know, some people have pointed out who used to work with uh, Rudy Giuliani that probably he never got over his uh, stardom uh, persona in the sense that he was this much admired man at the time. And then obviously his uh, star was 
failing quite a bit and uh, he never got over that. And he obviously saw a great opportunity to go along with the Donald and by doing so reverse his own political fortunes. I think in hindsight, history will tell us it backfired badly. It's just an incredibly, incredibly uh, sad thing that, that um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tragedy for this man. It's, it's a personal tragedy, I think. Now, I'm not going to comment on Sidney Powell. I mean, she's been one of the wildest conspiracy theorists. I mean, if she really is a lawyer, what does this tell you about this profession? I mean, it's, it's just incredibly, uh, it's, it's just utterly, uh, you can tell, I'm really, I'm, I, I, I've got difficulties even putting it into words. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely pathetic. Sorry for the rep repetition, but that's how I see it. Now, Trump obviously turning away from his legal battles, then tried something that is extraordinary in American history. He reached out to Republican lawmakers and county election officials in some battleground states, and they should do the dirty work for him. Now, credit where credit is due, uh, the... Uh, Secretary of State in Georgia, I think, has done a terrific job. He's a Republican. Um, he has never called into question the results in his state. And the Speaker of the Republican House in Michigan and the uh, President of the Senate, also a Republican, the Majority Leader in the Senate, also a Republican, have been treated to a visit in the White House and they resisted the pressure as well. Now that gives me some hope for the uh, grand old party. Now the third attempt that uh, Trump made is obviously his current, uh, current Twitter feed is still full of uh, conspiracy theories. But I think Michigan and the failure of the Trump administration to interfere with the uh, electoral process in Michigan was pretty much the end of the road for the president. Um, it is hardly surprising that on Monday night, just a few hours after the board of uh, election officials uh, ratified, uh, certified the results in Michigan, um, Trump finally allowed the administrator of the usually apolitical GSA to ascertain the election. And that now puts into motion the uh, transition process. That means Biden and his team will get $10 million. They're going to get office space. But I think most importantly, security clearances for the incoming administration, which is incredibly important, especially in the field of national security. Now, let's take a look at Biden who represents a very different America. And I told you in my previous podcast that his first appointments will tell us what, in what direction he plans to take the country. Now, I said at the time, if I were Biden, if I were to advise Biden, I think he should go for experience um, and as far as possible for bipartisanship, but especially experience. And I think, uh, you know, Biden, the guy he is, the, the um, political career, decades in the Senate, vice president to Barack Obama, I think he has done exactly that. 
Now let's, let's just uh, skip through a few appointments here. Um, a top a wicked smart guy um, named as Secretary of State. Remember, we are dealing with 4,000 political appointees. 1,300 have to be confirmed by the Senate. So it's still a lengthy process, but I think the first appointments hold great promise. Anthony Blinken, the new incoming Secretary of State, was Deputy Secretary of State and Deputy National Security Advisor in the Obama administration. By the way, you will notice if you go through these appointments, a lot of deputies have been promoted. They become first. You know, they're finally allowed to step up to the plate and assume the top job. Now, Anthony Blinken is a multilateralist. He is somebody that will signal to the world America is back, as Biden put it. Um, I think that's a good thing. Now, you may see or you may hear some rumblings in, in some quarters, not just uh, in the GOP, which is obviously to be expected, but even in some democratic quarters, you know, these are all careerists. But think about it. Whom would you hire, especially in that particularly sensitive area? Would you do it like Trump, you know, seeing someone on TV you like or somebody's looks and on that, that basis you hire people uh, to senior positions in an administration? Or would you go for middle-of-the-road, experienced, steady hands? Now, I think Anthony Blinken is a fantastic appointment and it speaks to what Biden, I think, will do. He will be a president of moderation which I know will disappoint a few progressives, but I think that is all political reality at the moment allows as far as uh, strategy is concerned. Now, another interesting appointment in this particular area is Avril Haines, uh, the new director of national intelligence. Uh, she's a woman, very competent woman, and she is the first woman who will lead Uh, the DNI, um, and I think what you see as well, despite opting for a lot of careerists, Biden is has uh, or is trying to put together a cabinet of diversity. You have a few women first, not just in the DNI. We will just come to the Treasury in a minute. So, Jen uh, uh, Avril Haines is a appointment to a senior position in the White House. And remember, the DNI was a brainchild of the Bush administration following 9-11. Um, uh, she will be responsible for coordinating um, the work of various intelligence agencies. Jack Sullivan, uh, previously also deputy Secretary of State and Deputy National Security Advisor in the Obama administration will be the new National Security Advisor. He has a long history of uh, having worked um, in, in government, but he will be the youngest, um, the youngest National Security Advisor in a very, very long time. Then we're going to have another woman first, Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen used to be the chair of the Reserve Bank and the um, National Reserve, and she will become the new Treasury Secretary. And she has uh, a lot on her plate, obviously, dealing with the economic recovery uh, following the 
um, corona pandemic. Even if summer next year in 2021, we may have the worst behind us, thanks to the vaccines that are now currently touted as the, uh, as the, the game changer in this pandemic, um, economic, economic recovery in the United States will take much longer. And Janet Yellen, I think, is a fantastic pick to oversee this. Um, again, competence, experience, rather than bluster and novelty just for the sake of it. We have Lijandro Marhokes, the first Latino, uh, who will lead the Department for Homeland Security. Again, he used to be deputy. He used to be deputy uh, secretary uh, of the DHS, and uh, he will uh, be the first immigrant to head that department. Again, the Department for Homeland Security is a uh, relatively new government agency also following 9-11. Now, I think, what do you see? Uh, oh, well, before I forget, we have John Kerry, the former Secretary of State. He will be the climate envoy of the Biden administration, but more importantly, I think, is the fact that he will sit on the NSC, on the National Security Council, which shows you, and I think we as progressives uh, will be very happy about that, that Biden will lead America back into the Paris Accord, and that climate change will have a uh, will be a huge priority in the in the uh, Biden administration. Now, what does this all tell you? Um, I think there are two reasons why progressives or people like Elizabeth Warren, who was uh, tipped for uh, treasurer, or Bernie Sanders, Labour secretary, that might still happen. But um, as I said, I think the Democrats cannot afford to lose two additional senators. And I think also... Uh, Biden is very mindful that his options will be very limited um, until the midterm in 2022. So I think the strength of this team in terms of experience and wisdom and calmness are apparent. But I also think Biden signals to his base, rightly so, um, that he will take progressives on board. And I think he has done the first essential step, um, which I expected of Biden. Remember, the transition process is a lengthy one. It didn't always go to plan. I'm not talking about the 2000 election, but but let me, and, and you know, in mo most podcasts, there will be a, a book recommendation as well. Remember the transition of 1932, winter, winter of war, uh, as it has been named, and the, there is a book out there, which I have on my desk, but I have not yet read through entirely. But basically, it's about the Herbert Hoover transition to FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which was a particularly difficult one. Unlike Trump, uh, Hoover had no problem conceding the election. But what followed, and remember, we had four months of transition. The uh, new president at the time was sworn in in early March. And you had uh, American absolute economic turmoil. So you had an unemployment rate of approximately 25%. You had bank closures almost every day. And you had food banks. 
You know, it's not without irony that now, even during Thanksgiving, that you see a lot of Americans having to go to food banks again. Uh, because Hoover despised any inflationary policies, which he knew the Roosevelt administration would bring in, the transition was thwarted. Both men didn't want their legacy taunted. They didn't want to have anything to do with each other, basically. So while the transition worked on a, in, in a formal in a, on a formal uh, in a formal way, um, Roosevelt and Hoover didn't agree on anything. And if they had done so, perhaps the economic recovery could have been hastened a bit, but that didn't happen. The second transition that was fraught was in 1976 from Gerald Ford to Jimmy Carter. Um, and it's, it's interesting when you listen to people who have been instrumental in transitions since then, they always, uh, they always tell you that what they learned from this particular transition is the incoming President Carter at the time faced or focused far too much on his White House staff rather than on cabinet appointments. So what they have learned from this um, in, in subsequent years is that um, in order to get an administration up and running, you're going to have to focus on cabinet appointments first and foremost. Because remember, in the White House, you have not as many people um, who need uh, Senate confirmation. So the interesting thing about a new incoming administration is that the junior staff is often earlier in place than the senior staff. And that obviously can lead to uncertainty in terms of policy development. And Carter, I think, got off to a pretty, pretty, bad, uh, pretty bad start. Um, so getting the transition right is incredibly important. And I think Biden is, is in good shape um, come January 20th. Now, that's all for me, from me for today. Um, I will be back as soon as there are new developments in the US, obviously, and I hope you'll get a bit of a better picture um, of how to, or how to put the transi transition into context. Right, my friends, that's all for today. I wish you well, stay healthy, and have a good week. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by yorktreater.com and... What is my political hero saying now? Don't waste your time on me, son. Don't waste your time on me. I've been around. I know you. I know you. I know where the skeletons are in your closet.